If you read the Daily Maverick regularly, you might have seen a piece, a really good profile piece last week, written by Sean Christie of the Bekasisa Centre for Health Journalism, looking at the career of Professor Rudo Mativa. She retired last year after 25 years at the helm of one of Africa's busiest intensive care units. And in fact, you can say the world's busiest because Chris Harney Baragwanath Academic Hospital is the largest hospital in Africa and believed to be the third largest hospital in the world. The ICU, no different to the rest of the hospital. It is busy. It is frantic. Ask any medical student or doctor who has taken a turn through those corridors. They will have hair-raising stories to share with you about the sights that they saw and the patients they remember and the crazy conditions that they worked under. And with health budgets under siege as they are, that situation only gets more dramatic every year. So we thought we'd spend a bit of time catching up with the prof ourselves to hear some more of her reflections of the work that she's done there and of the way forward for a a hospital that is part of our medical heritage in South Africa. Uh, Professor Ruda Mativa, welcome to Cape Talk and thank you so much for making time to talk to us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great, great pleasure to have you on the show. What drew you into the field of medicine in the first place? One was watching my my dad have an allergic reaction to penicillin and being resuscitated and feeling very helpless at the time. I was eight years old and I felt I never want to feel that helpless ever again Mm. in such a situation. And then later on, it became a sibling rivalry (laughs) issue because my brother that is two years older than me got accepted into med school so I figured if he can do it I can do it too. (laughs) And uh, I I shouldn't ask which of you is farthest ahead in the sibling rivalry race today. You have achieved one of the very top positions in one of the, the busiest and best known hospitals on the continent if not in the world. Has he also stuck with the profession of medicine all this time? He is stuck with the medical profession. He got a master's from Harvard University. And unfortunately, he passed away in 2022. I'm so sorry to hear that. Professor Matira, when did you first start working at Baragwanath? I know you've spent the last 25 years in charge of the intensive care unit, but uh, did you move straight into the ICU or did you have experience in other parts of uh, the hospital before then? No, I joined Chris Ani Baragwanath Academic Hospital as a resident in pediatrics in July 1986. So I did my residency first and I did a stint as a medical officer in intensive care after that. And that is when the love for intensive care started. Yeah. And I became an attending in intensive care mm-hmm. for three years. Then I went to Duke University in, in Durham, North Carolina. And it was on my return from there in, in 1998 that I got the post of being head of the intensive care. Okay. Now, this is a hospital 
renowned around the world for its size and for the scope and scale of the hospital and the variety of patients it treats. Uh, I have a, a relative in Canada who has said throughout his career that he will take a doctor who has worked at Barrow over just about anybody else because of what they have seen and what they have done uh, in the process, even junior doctors coming out of that hospital with experience that it takes doctors in other parts of the world decades to achieve in some cases. Um, we, we're talking to you from Cape Town. Perhaps um, not all of our audience members recognize uh, the scope and size of Chris Harney Baragwanath Academic Hospital. Can you give us a bit of a description of how big it is, the kinds of medicine that, is pra- that are practiced there, the range of patients that you are caring for on an average day? So it's a 3,000-bed hospital. It um, On a daily basis, it serves 12,000 meals. It mm. does 66,000 theater operations on an annual basis. It sees just about uh, 1 million outpatients patients per per, per year. Um, It delivers 35,000 babies per year. And the ICU is actually small when you take the whole hospital into account. Yeah because it's only got 36 beds. So the pressure on beds is really big. Mm. So we have to have very strict, uh, what we call triage principles. So we, we take patients that will benefit from ICU intervention into, into the ICU. And we, we have to work very hard and very fast so that our turnaround time is short. Mm. I know pressure on... So that's how big the hospital is. I mean, those are staggering figures, Prof. Sorry to interrupt you. I I heard you say the pressure on the ICU beds. I'm aware of the fact that with the recent budget cuts in healthcare budgets, um, pressure on ICU beds is being felt everywhere in South Africa. Um, I had a conversation just last week with a doctor who told us about the impact on local facilities here in Cape Town and how they are struggling to uh, to staff and support the number of ICU beds they'd like to. Is that something that Barra's been struggling with as well? Yes, and and, and, and the crunch is really at uh, uh, on the nursing staff side. Yeah. Um, we don't have enough critical care nurses and we don't have enough nurses, period. Hmm. Uh, so we have to rely on agency nurses. And every now and then we get told that the overtime for agency nurses has run out. Yeah. And yet the patients keep on coming. And you, you, you can't really turn away a young asthmatic patient hmm that needs intensive care intervention. So part of my job was to throw my toys out of my cot (laughs) until I got the nurse to come in to look after that patient. Yeah. So the position I held was very stressful. Mm. I mean, very stressful from that point of view. 
Just for anybody who has come in late to the conversation, my guest, Professor Rudo Mativa, is speaking to us. Uh, uh, who stepped down last year as head of the ICU at Chris Harney Baragwanath Academic Hospital, having spent 25 years in charge of that intensive care unit. She hasn't retired entirely, but she has stepped away from that particular role. And Professor, listening to your description of the working conditions, the pressure on the staff on the ground in very difficult budgetary um, situations. You can understand um, how it must wear staff down. It, you know, uh, you sound like somebody with an absolute passion for what you do, with a determination that patients will be helped if they need help. But to do that and deliver the standard of care that you would aspire to deliver when your budgets are being cut and your staffing is too little. And I mean, you mentioned 12,000 meals per day, but I know there was a time when those meals simply weren't materializing, where you were having to reach out for help to feed patients in the hospital not so very long ago. Talk to us about the impact that has on you as a healthcare professional working in that space? Uh, so when, when we run out of basic things like food for patients, it's it's unacceptable and it's it's it it injures you morally mm. because you've got all these patients in the hospital, you're basically starving them. And one of the basic building blocks of treating patients is to get them well nourished so that they can heal Mm. with whatever else you're going to do to them. And it was very difficult for healthcare workers to go home, leaving patients that have got no food. So we we had to run around, uh, look for sponsors to sponsor food, um, you know, look at a gift of the givers to sponsor meat, vegetables, and non-perishable foods so that the patients could have meals. Hmm. And that this this wasn't just for the intensive care unit, this was for the whole hospital. Because in the intensive care unit, we've got the ready-to-hang feeds. Those yeah. were there. Because the patients are sedated, then they're not going to be chewing food. Yeah. And and it was uh, it was a maladministration problem of of awarding a tender for seventy food items to one supplier mm-hmm. that you then don't pay, and the supplier stops supplying the food items yeah and and you don't get delivery you know sometimes it happens with medication and you 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 then have to run around to your other cluster hospitals borrowing antibiotics Mm. you know promising to pay back when you get your stock and then we had a, a, a major issue of adrenaline which is a, a first-line resuscitation drug yeah. that we ran out of at Barra. You, you can't run out of such a drug. And then you have to actually threaten to go to every TV station, to every radio station, to blow it out wide mm. before somebody will do something. And suddenly the medication materializes. Hmm. Now, that, that that kind of stuff was not on my curriculum at medis- yeah. medical school. Yeah. 
So the, the, these are the things I, I learn as I go. And it's unnecessary stress yeah. on healthcare workers. Is that stress part of the reason you've decided to step down from heading the ICU after all these years? I know you, you've kept your foot in the door, as it were. You're still working at, at the hospital, but you're no longer running the, um, the ICU. Is the stress the reason for that or, or a significant part of it? Well, I've been wanting to leave since I turned 55. Mm. I've been wanting to leave because of that stress, but I stuck around and... I had just about reached retirement age, but I decided to leave a few months early because my health was starting to take strain as well. But yeah, that stress was the major pusher. That's what pushed me over the cliff. Hmm. Um, and then I, I signed on to stay uh, to teach other doctors to become intensive care specialists and to teach junior doctors about the ICU environment mm -hmm. and to advise the clinical director on, on the clinical environment and also to advise on how to procure medical equipment in, 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 a, in a way that makes sense and hmm. in a cost-effective cost manner and not just to adopt technology for the sake of adopting technology. Yeah. As you say, none of those skills that appear on the curriculum of the average medical degree. Um, but thank heavens that somebody like you is there to help pass them along to the next generation of doctors who are going to have to juggle all these balls and manage this extraordinary environment. Professor, thank you. Uh, that snapshot, I think, has been so valuable to give so many listeners a sense of what it is like to be working under these kind of pressures in the public healthcare system. Um, I, I wish that an entirely peaceful, full retirement may be not too far around the corner for you to be able to have some time to reflect on the years of service that you've given to this profession. And thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. You've been listening there to Professor Huda Mativa from the Chris Harney Baragwanath Academic Hospital. Um, as I mentioned, the reason we reached out to her to join us today was sparked by that wonderful article uh, from, from Sean Christie of the Bexisa Centre for Health Journalism. If you would like to read up more about the professor's own personal story um, and more about her career and the challenges that she has faced and the obstacles overcome in those years, uh, please do look for the piece which is still available on the Daily Maverick website.